0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.
1: It's almost all in yellows and red here. At the University Uh, of Pennsylvania,
2: Dr. Dr. Andrew Newberg is looking for an explanation uh, for what most regard
1: as unexplainable. I mean, it's not language, it's not regular language at least, that would normally activate the frontal lobe.
2: Newberg is exploring the relationship between faith and science, studying what happens in the brain during the deepest
1: moments of faith. If we're really going to look at this very, very powerful force in human history of religion and spirituality, I think we really have to take a look at how that affects our brain, what's changing or turning on or turning off in our brain. They're going to go around very fast
2: right now. He's recently published a study of Americans speaking in tongues. Remarkably, he discovered that what's happening to them neurologically looks a lot like what they say is happening to them spiritually. Make sure we got your whole head in there. We asked Pastor Jerry Stoltzfus to come to the University to have his brain scanned while he speaks in tongues. This way we could see the experiment in action. I don't think faith is anything to be afraid of from science science validates faith so bring it on whatever the facts are bring it on just go ahead and and you can begin prayer first he's told to pray in english father i pray for each of the family members involved in this study grant them what they are looking for in their personal lives for their vision and their potential. Then he's told to speak in tongues. This
1: is the first scan when he was in prayer, speaking in English. This is the second scan when he is praying in tongues. Pastor Stoltzfus's
2: scan showed that his frontal lobe, think, the part of the brain that controls language, was active when he prayed in English, but for the most part, so it and fell and quiet when he prayed with with in the the tongues.
1: When they're actually true. engaged in this whole a very intense spiritual practice, religious practice for them, their frontal lobes tend to go down in activity, but I think it's very consistent with the kind of experience that they have, because they say that they're not in charge. They're, it's the voice of God, it's the spirit of God that's moving through them
2: but for those who believe it doesn't matter if science can find the footprints of the holy spirit in their 21st century brain scans when you've experienced this you don't really care what anybody else thinks it's personal for in the first place it is something between you and god so we don't really care if it's validated or not but it's fascinating when it is so that people that have thought we're crazy can have something to look at to say maybe we're not we're still crazy we're just not as crazy as they thought thank you so much this is vicki mabry for nightline in philadelphia
0: all right well great to see you guys welcome to week four of our series firepower 40 days with the Holy Spirit and uh, last week we did, we looked at the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues which we just acknowledge that's a practice that sometimes arouses curiosity or controversy in the body of Christ and I hope you saw that in context. It's really not that big a deal, it's a private prayer language that strengthens some believers when their connection to God and uh, I know that's a new thought for some of you. If you came from a background that didn't really teach or practice that gift, it can be jarring. In fact, I had someone come up to me after last Sunday's service, and they said, uh, "So, Pastor Tim, um, is this is tongues like now a thing at Liquid?" Uh, And I knew exactly what they meant. Like, you know, like, is this what we're going to now emphasize and fixate on? And let me be clear up front: the answer is no. Okay, tongues is a secondary issue. As are all of the miraculous gifts, whether it's prophecy or healing, I want you to remember the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to Jesus. All the gifts are meant to point to the giver, okay? So do we believe God still speaks today? Yes. Does God still heal today? Yes. Does he perform miracles? Yes. Is that the focus of our unity? No. Our unity is around Jesus Christ alone as our risen Savior and coming King, amen? So I want you to understand that if you're new to Liquid, we believe gifts are a secondary issue. They're not essential for salvation. And so we expect there's going to be diversity among our congregation uh, when it comes to things like that. So we welcome believers who speak in tongues as well as the many who don't. So if you spend enough time reading God's Word in context, you'll see there's tremendous freedom, actually, in the Christian life and practice as long as everything is done in love. So, again, if you're wondering, like, so are we going to like, speak in tongues as part of our regular Sunday service? Uh, yes, and next week we're going to handle snakes. So invite a friend, okay? That's going to be great. Uh, I'm kidding. Just, the answer is no, as a matter of love and common sense. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes this. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak, what's it say? Five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. In other words, our philosophy at Liquid is the same as Paul's. When we get together for public worship, our main goal is to preach the gospel in a language that everybody understands. See, that's the limitation of tongues. It encourages individual Christians, but the rest of us don't understand what you're saying. But public preaching, five intelligible words, teaching others from God's words, they're greater than 10,000 words spoken in a tongue. Now, I'm not a calculus major, but you can see there's a pretty big gap. And there's common sense here. And you know what? That's sensitive to outsiders. One of the hesitations I have in talking about this kind of stuff publicly is that non-Christians, non-believers, especially those who maybe are kicking the tires of Christianity, are easily put off by this. In fact, Paul actually worries in verse 23. Look what he thinks. He says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are what? Out of your mind, (laughs) that was the problem in Corinth. People walked in and were like, these Christians are cray-cray. I don't know what's happening in here. Have you ever been to a church like that? It's off-putting. It can actually make people take a step away from Jesus rather than towards him because it's unclear. Our flesh gets in the way and we lose sight of our main mission as a church, which is to proclaim the gospel about Jesus in a language everybody understands. So remember this. When we talk about gifts of the Spirit, what is at the top of Paul's list of gifts Wisdom, what is at the bottom of the list? Tongues, and he says eagerly desire the greater gifts. You need wisdom above all else when practicing gifts in a group setting. So let me be clear about this. At Liquid, we believe the charismatic gifts are best practiced in a small group setting rather than a big old worship service like this. A small group is typically a dozen or so believers who already know each other, there's already trust and ability to make mistakes, so it avoids awkwardness. It's kind of like when you're learning anything new. If you're riding a bike, right, what do you do with your kids? You don't take them, you know, out to the highway where there's concrete and cars whizzing by. You take them to the park and they they practice on the grass. So if they fall off, nobody gets hurt. That's what life groups are at Liquid. They're a safe place to grow, learn about the faith, and actually practice gifts with trusted friends. So in a life group, you know everyone's name. You dive into scripture. You can dialogue and say, well, how does that work? Is that, how is that, what was your experience with that? It's less formal than a Sunday. And there's trust to explore gifts like tongues or prophecy or healing. So in a big old Sunday service like this, when we have 3,000 people coming together across multiple campuses, can you see how this might be a tad chaotic? If we said, okay, everybody, you know, whoever wants to stand up and pray in tongues or prophesy or lay hands on people, it'd be, people would be like, that's, you're out of your mind. It actually fails to reflect the character of God himself. Look what Paul says. He says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of what? What's the word here? Peace. So let me put your mind at peace, okay? Paul gives detailed instructions for interpretation of tongues in a group setting. I'm not going to get lost in the weeds of that today, except to say this. His instruction is specifically tailored to a house church. That's how the Corinthians were organized. They actually met in small groups of 15 to 30 believers who gathered in a person's home in their living room for prayer and worship and communion. And there's a big difference between a small group of 30... And a whole swarm of 3,000 like we had last week at Liquid. So that's why at a public setting, I will always preach in five intelligible words about Jesus rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because we want everybody who comes to this church, whether you're longtime believers or you're brand new to the faith and you're just starting your journey with Jesus, we want everybody to be able to understand the message of the gospel. And we don't want anything to get in the way of that. So periodically, here's what that means. We'll have response times. Well, we'll invite people up for prayer, we'll lay hands on people, sometimes we'll anoint the sick with oil. And not every week, but when we do that, notice, it is completely orderly. It is low-key. We don't hype it like, oh, the Holy Spirit, we're going to knock people down. It's quite beautiful, actually. Last Sunday, we had such a sweet response time. You know, you saw that. As people came forward, some just wanting a, a fresh filling of God's Spirit, some were repenting of their pride for judging others and said, you know what, I gotta repent of that. It's just a sweet time. You didn't see people acting out or causing chaos. So what we're doing at Liquid is simply trying our best to follow the scriptures in a loving way that make common sense. Paul ends his teaching on tongues with this instruction. He says, don't forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a, say this phrase, fitting and orderly way. So we have a preference for order that favors outsiders. We actually put the needs of others ahead of our own. That's why I preach in English on Sundays, okay? It's why we translate in Spanish. We want everyone to hear the good news of Jesus in a language they understand that makes sense. So understand this. Whenever you talk about spiritual gifts, here's the big idea. Figure out whatever approach is most loving to other people and do that. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak, this is my heart, guys. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, say it together, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, love is central. When it comes to gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's great that you want more personally, but if you don't love others, it's just noise. It's just a a banging cymbal or clanging gong. You've probably been at churches where you see the gong show, right? In other words, it's the guy who speaks in tongues, but then goes home and criticizes his wife or lashes out in anger at his kids, no love. You can be here on a Sunday and praise God in any language you want, but if you curse your coworkers or judge them and criticize them on Monday morning in another tongue, it's just noise. That's the danger, watch, of gifts of the spirit without the fruits of the spirit. You can't exercise gifts without love. Paul says if you have one without the other, you actually just hurt people's ears. I think it's very noteworthy that in the two passages we studied last week, 1 Corinthians 12, In 1 Corinthians 14, there's a chapter known as 1 Corinthians 13, which is Paul's famous chapter on love. That's intentional. And that's why we're going to shift gears today. In fact, believe it or not, the Holy Spirit does speak. He speaks to me often. And this week, I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to help shift our focus today from the gifts of the Spirit to take a look at the fruits of the Spirit. Originally, I was going to unpack the rest of the miraculous gifts here in Corinthians. I was going to get into prophecy and words of knowledge. But I felt like the Lord was saying, you know what, Tim, I want you to focus a little bit on the fruit of the spirits this week because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, because we need to balance out our understanding of the Holy Spirit and His role in our life. So if you have more questions about tongues or anything, I'd be happy to chat with you after the service. I'll probably do a future message on prophecy and all that kind of stuff. But I want to shift our focus to the fruits today because I've found that most Christians tend to emphasize one or the other. Charismatics tend to emphasize The gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, things like that. Conservatives tend to emphasize the fruit of the Spirit. But the truth is both are necessary to live a balanced, Spirit-filled life. The gifts are inseparable from the fruit. So understand, it's not fruit or gifts. Which one are you going to pick? It's both and. God wants to see both the gifts and the fruits manifest in the life of His children. Both maturity and miracles. Both are essential if you're going to live a life of love and power. So today, I want to illustrate for you what it looks like in everyday life, how Christians from every walk of life, in a message that I'm calling Hosting the Dove, and I want to share with you practical steps that you could actually take this week to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life for the remaining 40 days. Let's do this, all our campuses, let's bow our heads and pray and invite God's Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, we just thank you right now for what you're doing in our church. We, we, we are seeing hundreds of people trust in Jesus as their Savior. That's a miracle. We're seeing dozens about to be baptized next week. Many of us are discovering a renewed hunger for more of you. So thank you for that miracle. We don't take the season of blessing and growth for granted. But today, I just pray that you will speak right now to every single person under the sound of my voice in a language that connects with their heart as well as their mind. We wanna hear your voice, our ears are open. Let us sense your presence and understand how you're calling us to live a life of loving others in a way that brings glory to Jesus. Let us see the cross of Jesus in a fresh way and fill us with his supernatural love for each other. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, everyone said amen. All right, well as I said today, I wanna talk about hosting the dove and let me tell you what I mean by that. As is we've been seeing the Bible uses a lot of different symbols to represent the Holy Spirit, right? We've seen the Holy Spirit is fire, he's wind, he's water, he's tongues. But perhaps the most well-known symbol of the Holy Spirit is the dove. Behold, there is a high probability of things going wrong at today's message, okay? (laughs) Let me just say, this is a dove, as you can see. It's a beautiful white, pure white dove, and that's, that's appropriate. A dove is a symbol of purity, it's a symbol of peace, and it's a very shy and sensitive creature. And the first time the dove appears in the New Testament, do you know where it is? At the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 3 says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like what? Like a dove and alighting on him. Now all four gospels record this miracle at the start of Jesus' public ministry. Like many of you are gonna do next week, Jesus went under the water of baptism and as he came out, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and it says the Holy Spirit alighted on Jesus. Now, do you know what that means to alight? When something alights, it means it lands very, very gently, as gently as snow and it literally landed on Jesus and it never left. This is a beautiful moment Because the dove is a symbol of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit coming to rest on a Christian's life. It says the dove landed and Jesus walked in his power and anointing all of his days. People saw this happen and then they heard something. Verse 17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, the Holy Spirit is a gift from your father in heaven, a sign of his love and power to his children on earth. And this was the father's stamp of approval on his son, Jesus. This was the father saying, Jesus, son, I love you. I believe in you. I am going to put my spirit on you, and you're going to walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit all of your days on this earth. I imagine that really strengthened and encouraged Jesus. Wouldn't you think so? I mean, would that be amazing if you got baptized next week and that happened? Like, all of a sudden, you get in the hot tub and a dove comes down and a PA. It's like, this is my son, JP. He rocks, you know, kind of thing. That would be awesome. I pray that's how some of you will feel. Whenever people get baptized at liquid, they often sense like, man, it was just like I felt it was like a a spiritual high. You're just simply feeling the pleasure of your Heavenly Father. There's very few moments in your life you know you are dead center in the will of God. When you get baptized, it's one of those moments. You're following Jesus' example. You're saying, I I want my sins forgiven. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. So if you haven't signed up yet, you still have time. It's next Sunday, but you got to sign up at the baptism booth and lobby today. Now listen, what's interesting here is that in the gospel of John, there's a little detail about this incident that I had never noticed before. I'd never seen this. It says, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove. And what's this word here? remain on Jesus. In fact, John says this two times. The Holy Spirit came down and it remained on Jesus. Now I'm praying that the dove remains on me the rest of this message because I know some of you are a little scared of birds and that's okay. But John says this twice and it's significant. He says, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. And this is significant, because the dove, as you can see, is a shy, sensitive creature. His feathers are easily ruffled. He can be disturbed. But because Jesus spoke and ministered out of love, because he had a compassionate spirit, because he was never angry and judgmental towards people, the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus Christ for his entire life. Jesus never did anything that caused the Spirit to lift or get ruffled, wouldn't that be amazing? See, the truth is this, when you become a Christian, I'm just gonna put you back in here, little guy, okay? Here you go. It's funny, he was staying at our house this weekend, and I, my, my kids were like, what should we name him, Dad? And I said, well, it's the Holy Spirit, so you have to have the initials HS. And my daughter was like, Harry Styles, you know, from One Direction. Some of you, those of you under 40 know who that is. All right, but here's the interesting thing. When you first become a Christian, You receive the Holy Spirit in your heart as a deposit. God's Spirit moves in. You literally become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The dove makes his home with you. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. The Holy Spirit takes a permanent residence. But here's the bad news. Sometimes, by the way we say and things we do, we do things that grieve the Spirit, that cause him to get ruffled, Remember, the Holy Spirit's a person. It means he can be grieved. He cr- you know what it means to grieve? It means you make someone sad, you make them cry, you hurt their feelings. You know what makes the dove cry? You remember that song, Prince song, When Doves Cry? Let's sing that just real quickly here, okay? <laughs> At my house, the dove cries, you know, I, the dove cry, I can be, I can be, you know, walking with the spirit and then I get in my car and I'm going to go to work and I'm driving and all of a sudden I get behind a school bus and I'm late and now I'm hitting every red light and then someone cuts me off and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't give them the finger, you know, kind of this kind of thing. And the dove kind of departs, right? As I'm listening to Star 99. one, you know, right? The dove cries. Where else does the dove cry in your life? The dove cries at work. When you meet your coworkers that Monday morning, you know, and you're in the lunchroom and one of them tells an off-color joke, you know, oh, that's what she said, you know, and everybody laughs and sort of funny and so do you and the dove actually cries because that's coarse joking. The dove cries at home in the morning when you're getting your kids ready for school. You're trying to get them dressed and out the door, and one can't, you know, find her homework, and the other can't put his shoes on, and this one's still in the bathroom, and the carpool's going, eh, eh, eh. and you're like, "Sweetheart, you know, sweetheart, you know, if you don't get your butt down here now, it's going to be in a sling," you know. And the dove cries and flies away. Let me be very clear: the Holy Spirit never actually leaves a believer. Jesus promised the Spirit would be with us forever, but the sense of His anointing can lift the manifest presence of God. That's what the dove represents. When we don't feel the spirit's peace and love pervading our words and actions, the dove lifts. Remember this. We've all had moments, right? Where you felt the spirit of God operating in your life. You had an anointed conversation with someone who was hurting. Your conversation was tender. Your spouse got up in your grill and grieved you, annoyed you. But you know what? You had supernatural patience with them. Maybe you had uh, you know, you the sense of joy and purpose in your life. When the dove is present, the spirit of Jesus is very real to you. You actually feel him resting on your shoulder, steering your words and actions. But that sense disappears very quickly, doesn't it? The spirit lifts. The dove cries. He wants to remain on you like Jesus. But our flesh scares him away. One harsh word, one flash of anger, one nasty Facebook comment, you know? And he's gone, right? And we keep the Holy Spirit in a cage. We give him an hour on Sunday. Maybe one night a week for life group. Maybe. But the rest of the time, he's back in his cage. He's not allowed to remain on us. Guys, look at the life of Jesus. The goal for every single follower of Jesus is to live in such a way that the Holy Spirit can rest in your nest and remain on you walking in his anointing day by day, hour by hour, so that your life bears the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. Jesus had the fruits of the Spirit in abundance. That's why the dove was at home with him. It's as if the dove said, Jesus, I like it. I like staying with you. And Jesus hosted the dove in his daily life. When I say host the dove, what does it mean to host somebody at your home? You know what you do you open up your home, you make it very comfortable, you create this environment where they feel welcomed, comfortable to rest and to stay. And that's why that dove never left Jesus. He remained on Jesus, why? Jesus never once grieved the Holy Spirit. The problem for you and me is, well, we're not Jesus, are we? Remember, the Holy Spirit can be grieved by any of us in a second. All our campuses, look in your notes or you can turn in your Bible to Ephesians 4. This is our main passage. I want to read this out loud together. Paul writes, read it out loud. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can circle that word grieve. Grieve literally means to hurt somebody's feelings, to make them sad. You actually cause them pain by something you say or do. Could be a harsh word. Could be a critical tongue. Could be a bitter spirit. The Holy Spirit has feelings, which means you and I can grieve him. And when you look at this teaching from Paul, do you see both the good news and the bad news? Again, look at the good news. You were sealed for the day of redemption. That's pretty clear, right? In other words, grieving the Holy Spirit will not cause you to lose your salvation. And you can thank God for that. Otherwise, I would have lost it a long time ago. Many, many times. The Spirit is actually a seal. It's a deposit on our salvation. It's a guarantee. And God never loses his deposit. That's the good news. The bad news is, although the Holy Spirit never leaves you, His anointing can diminish. It's that sense of walking in His peace and in His power. It's a very fragile thing. And when we grieve the Spirit with anger or impatience or judging, that sense of His peace just vanishes. His power diminishes. See, the dove is a gentle creature. He is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's sensitivity. His feathers are easily ruffled. I like how R.T. Kendall put it in his wonderful book, Holy Fire, a balanced biblical look at the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for one book that's extremely balanced on this topic, let me recommend this to you. In fact, R.T. Kendall, Dr. Kendall is from London. This is the exciting news. We became friends over the summer. Two weeks from today, Dr. Kendall's frying from London to liquid to preach the final message in our Firepower series. So you're in for a treat because Dr. Kendall was pastor of Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. He's one of the most respected theologians of our time in our generation. And he's coming to Liquid to close out this series for us. So mark your calendars. We'll actually give you invites on the way out today to invite your friends. But in his book, Holy Fire, look what Dr. Kendall says. He makes this observation. Grieving the Holy Spirit is the easiest thing in the world to do. Why? Because he's so sensitive. It's impossible to exaggerate how sensitive the person of the Holy Spirit is. Can I put it another way? The Holy Spirit gets his feelings hurt easily. Notice he's not talking about our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, though that's important. Rather, he's highlighting the sensitivity of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a hypersensitive person, hypersensitive like a dove. Now, if you use that word to describe somebody else, if you said, oh, my wife is hypersensitive, this is not going to go well for you. You're going to get the book upside the head, okay? But hypersensitive is a good description of the Holy Spirit. Why is he so sensitive? Because he's holy. That's his first name. The holiness of God, he's completely someone other than us. No darkness, no imperfection, no sin dwell in his presence. And the reality is, he's very easily grieved by our attitudes, by our actions. Many times our words and in the relationships that we have with others make it difficult to host the dove in daily life. I mean, there are a thousand ways you could grieve the Holy Spirit. But if you look here at Ephesians 4, Paul just lists a few. In verse 31, he writes this. Get rid of all, what's the word here? Bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Let's just look at these. What is bitterness, right? Let me tell you something. Bitterness is the most natural feeling in the world. It comes from feeling like you were mistreated, like you got hurt by somebody, or maybe they lied about you. It could be a friend who betrayed you. It could be a coworker who stole credit or makes your life difficult at work. It could be an ex who kind of slanders you, always never steps a chance, just kind of stab you in the back. Or somebody at school who pokes fun or ridicules you. Bitterness is just the result of being hurt and refusing to forgive. It's funny, I I never considered myself a bitter person. I'm a pretty much an optimist, glass half full kind of guy. But this week I'm actually writing this message. And as I'm writing this message, I, my phone, I get a little text, right? It's a text from a friend who had a little disagreement a few weeks ago. It was nothing major, but I felt like he wasn't being completely honest with me. There was like a gap in what he was telling me. And I was also pretty sure I was completely right. Okay, shocker, right? You know, and I get this text and my friend writes, hey dude, I'm not sure where we stand after our conversation, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I'm just going to be honest. I looked at that and I was like, whatever, I am very, I am not letting him off the hook that easy, okay, let me tell you something, he, he always does this, he acts like he's just smoothing it over, nothing's wrong, I am not texting him back, I'm getting back to writing my sermon on the Holy Spirit, true story, and the dove cried, <laughs> maybe bitterness is closer than I think, I mean, be honest, can you think of someone in your life who just kind of rubs you the wrong way, who there's a gap in your relationship, Maybe they didn't live up to your expectations and there's angst in your heart. Who is that person for you? Could you call their head to mind? Notice bitterness is connected to rage and anger. And the truth is this, no matter how justified you feel, how right you feel in upholding what's fair and true, if you don't forgive that person, it will come out in your temper, guaranteed. And guess what? The Bible says only the holy God is allowed to show his wrath because he alone is holy. You're not. We're light and shadow. So when we get angry, jerk, when we, go, when we say, I can't stand her, she's toxic, she's a terrible person, you grieve the Spirit of God. Angry Christians make the dove cry. And angry Christians are epidemic in our world. There are Christians who are angry at their husband or their wife, angry with their kids, kids who rage at their parents. I think it's one of Satan's greatest strategies to get people who have experienced the radical grace and kindness of Christ to be the first to condemn, to curse, to judge or criticize others, to get angry and stay angry. And you know what that's called? I've got a term for it. Pigeon religion. Can you say pigeon religion? Pigeon religion. Did you know doves and pigeons are in the same family, but they're not the same creature? A dove is peaceful and loving. Pigeons are belligerent. Have you ever fed a pigeon at Central Park? They're like... You know, they're boisterous, they're rude, the feathers sort of fly, but a dove is gentle. Check this out. A dove only mates with one other dove for its entire life. A pigeon will mate with dozens of other pigeons across its lifetime. Pigeons are playas, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> pigeon religion is when Christians exercise the gifts of the spirit, but fail to produce the fruit of the spirit. We may know the Bible, you may speak in tongues, but they carry a low-level anger in their heart and a temper that boils over, and others sort of fear them. They may respect that you have a few gifts, but you lack love. It's charisma without character. And the truth is, that's pigeon religion. It's a counterfeit spirit. It has this appearance of spirituality, but underneath, there's hardness of heart. So you can't talk in tongues and then go lash out at your wife or your husband, Criticize your brother. Fire off that nasty email. Kendall writes, it's so easy to grieve the spirit. It happens to people on the way to church. They shout to each other as they drive into the parking lot. Then they worship as if nothing is wrong and wonder why there's no sense of God. Although we only have ourselves to blame when we lose our tempers, point the finger, or speak of another person in an unflattering manner, it's also true. The devil lurks about looking for a chance just to seize our weak spot. We all have them. See, guys, if you don't consistently walk in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ daily, you cannot host the dove. I want you to think right now of the person who grieves you the most, who offends you, who hurts you. And now I want you to consider this, how your response to them may be grieving the Holy Spirit. If you don't forgive them from the heart, it will, mark this, boil over to brawling and slander. Brawling is, I don't just mean fistfights. Slander is when you make damaging statements about somebody in order to tear them down. It's criticizing your ex in front of your kids. It's posting snarky comments on Facebook or Instagram or social media designed to make somebody else look stupid. And it's sin. It's just sin. You know what a good definition of spirituality is? It's the time gap between your sin and your repentance. In other words, how long does it take you to realize or admit that you sinned, that you're actually wrong in your response? For some people, it takes years. They say, I can never admit that I was wrong. And they're true to their word. They live with bitterness for decades. Some people cool off after a few weeks and say, well, you know, maybe I played a part in that. But if you narrow that time gap between sin and repentance to days, to hours, to seconds you can often sense the wings of the dove getting ready to fly off and then you stop yourself. You say, I'm not going to send that email. Don't make that call. Don't post that comment. Bite your tongue. Don't finish the sentence because nothing is worth grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't make the dove cry. See, if you're truly spiritual, you will pursue peace in relationships at all times. What is the universal symbol for peace? A dove. That's why Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of, what's this word? Malice. Again, think of the person who grieves you the most. You know what malice is? Malice is simply wishing ill will for them. Your dream, instead of forgiving them, your dream is to see them caught, exposed, and punished. That's your self-righteousness coming out. You know where the motivation comes from? Not him. Not <laughs> him. That comes from a darker place. That's a motivation out of the flesh. The Holy Spirit can never lead you to wish bad things for another person. Even if you're right, the Bible actually makes clear, vengeance belongs to who? Belongs to God. So don't compete for his job, okay? Your job, follower of Jesus, is to love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's gentleness, kindness, self-control. See, here's the secret. If you want to host the dove in your daily life, in your family, instead of responding with malice, you must respond with mercy, with total forgiveness for those who offend you in your life. There are so many Christians who live daily lives with the spirit of unforgiveness. They nurse a grudge, they stay bitter, or they refuse to reconcile. And then we wonder why we don't feel the peace of the Holy Spirit. Where's the power of the Holy Spirit? The dove can't rest and remain on you when you live like that. It is impossible to host the dove when you say, I could never give him what Christ has given you. So here's my question. What can you do to actually let the Spirit out of his cage and host the dove again? Paul gives the answer in verse 32. Let's read this together, church. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Say it together. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave who? You. The only way to release the dove in your daily life is by totally forgiving those who have offended you, who have hurt you, who have grieved your spirit. Paul says, forgive them as in Christ, God forgave you. So it asks this question, how did God forgive us in Christ? You have to look at the cross. What did Jesus allow his enemies to do? He allowed them to pin his body to a cross, to pierce his side with a spear. And in that, through the power of the Holy Spirit who remained on Jesus, here was his prayer for them. Father, forgive them. Forgiving like Jesus means a few things. If you're taking notes, it first means that you never tell others what they did to you. What happened to your sin on the cross? It died with Jesus. And you let their sin die with you. You don't fan the flame. You don't feed the conflict. You don't spread rumors, gossip, or slander. Their sin actually dies with you, just as our sin died with Jesus on the cross. You don't let them be afraid of you or feel nervous around you. You actually extend the olive branch. That actually comes from the Old Testament. The dove returns with an olive branch right after the flood. Even if you're the one who's wronged. I was so convicted of this this week. I'll just be honest. My friend who texted me and said, hey, I'm not sure where we stand. You know what? I'll just be honest, guys. I'm ashamed to admit this. But I thought, good. (laughs) He should feel that way. I like the idea that he was sweating it out somewhere and feeling uncomfortable and nervous. He should. That's sin. That's plain and simple. When you allow your enemies to feel nervous or scared around you, it's not the dove. It is pigeon religion. So I reached out to him actually and said, hey, can we get together to talk this week? I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but I just want to confess what's in my heart because I value as a friend, I want to close that gap. I put him at ease. Total forgiveness means you don't make them feel guilty. And this may be the hardest thing to do because when you're wrong, your self-righteousness wants to feel, that person to feel bad for what she did. But like Jesus, you forgive them on the cross with no conditions. Look what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And you may object and say, that's not true. They know exactly what they did. They were nailing the nails in there and that's what they did to me. Maybe so. But your response to their sin is what determines whether the dove stays or goes. Forgiving like Christ means you crucify your right to judge others. You leave that job with God. You release them of their guilt like Christ did with you. And we let them save face as opposed to just kind of rubbing their noses in it. You know, it's always bothered me How when Jesus was resurrected, he restored Peter after his denial. Remember, Peter denies him three times. If I'm Jesus, I'm coming back to Peter's house. Guess who? You know, we got to talk. Jesus didn't call him out in front of the other disciples. He took Peter aside one-on-one and gently restored him. And that means you have to forgive them daily. Guys, this is so important. Listen to me. If you're here today and you have been hurt or deeply wounded, you need to hear me on this. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time decision. Authentic forgiveness, spirit-filled forgiveness, is an ongoing lifestyle. It means you have made the decision to forgive them today and tomorrow and a year from now and 10 years from now. You do that so that one day you may be free. The dove may actually come out of his cage and you can come out of yours. And instead of being bitter, you will be able to pray for their blessing. This is by far the most supernatural part of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit resting on you. You can't pray for your enemy to be blessed right now from your heart, can you? If I said pray for them right now, for their success, for their blessing, that they'll prosper, you're like, I don't, wouldn't mean it. But when you can pray it from your heart like Jesus did, then you know... You are walking in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. You'll be hosting the dove like Jesus did. He's actually resting in your nest. You'll be forgiving your enemies the way Christ forgave you. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse them. Remember, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world through his sacrifice. When we, me, when Tim Lucas and you were enemies of God, Christ died for us. He blessed us with forgiveness and grace. And so when we give grace to our enemies, what they don't deserve, it allows the dove to rest and remain at home with us. That's how you host the dove. That is the most supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So here's my question for you right now. Have you been hosting the dove this week in your relationships? I want you to imagine this dove is the Holy Spirit, and I called you forward and said, come on up here and I'm going to put him on your shoulder. And if you walked out of here today and just went on living your life the way you did last week, would this dove be there by next Sunday, this afternoon, or would he fly away because of the anger or the bitterness or unforgiveness that's in your heart? Look, I know there are people here today at this church, at every campus, where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. The dove is putting his finger on a relationship in your life that needs to be reconciled. Maybe there's somebody who you have been angry with, you've been hurt by, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to do a miraculous work and I want you to forgive them today. It may be somebody in this room. It may be as recent as this week or happened years ago, I don't know. But maybe today the Holy Spirit has called somebody to mind and he's whispering, I want you to forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. And you may be like, that's impossible, Tim. I can't do that. I, I just physically can't do that. You're right. It's impossible in your strength. It requires the supernatural unction of the Holy Spirit. But the good news is this. The dove is here in this room. And if you feel convicted, that's a good thing. You know why? It means the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. It means your heart isn't hard. It's still sensitive. You're still hearing. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to draw you back to God the Father. I want to put my blessing on your life. If that's you and you want that to happen, you know what the magic is? You appeal to one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. 1 John 1.9. Let's read it out loud. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession just means you tell God what he already knows about you and you ask Christ to forgive you and he will and then you ask for the Holy Spirit to give you power to walk in a new way and forgive as Christ has forgiven you. We're going to give you a chance to do that today by closing with communion at all of our campuses. Communion is really the great symbol of what it cost Jesus Christ to forgive you and me. When we take the broken bread, that represents the broken body of Christ on the cross. When we drink the grape juice from the cup, that represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses and washes us clean of our sins. But before we pass out the communion elements, I want you to take time to reflect. I want you to invite the dove to examine your heart today. Just take a moment to pray. Ask him to gently surface any anger or malice that you may have and ask Christ to cleanse you. And this is important. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God to help you forgive your enemy from the heart right now. To forgive that person who hurt you. To actually in this moment release them to God and pray for their blessing. Even if you don't feel like it. Let your mouth speak, your heart will follow. All our campuses, let's just bow our heads right now for a moment in time of prayer of confession before we receive communion father in the name of Jesus we come to your table to find mercy in our time of need by faith we receive the body and the blood of Jesus which was sacrificed in love to forgive my sin our sin cleanse us now we repent Holy Spirit of our bitterness and our anger and rage all the ways we grieve you, would you restore our relationship with the Father? Holy Spirit, in your name, I ask now for the power and anointing to forgive our enemies. In fact, we name them right now in our heart. We pray for their blessing. Give us words to pray right now, Holy Spirit, from the heart. All our campuses, just take a few moments for silent prayer, just to examine yourself. Repent, reflect, renew your relationship with the Lord. Jesus, thank you for the cleansing power of your blood. Purify us from all unrighteousness right now. We open our lives to the Holy Spirit. Come in. Let us forgive as we've been forgiven. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks for listening to Liquid Church
0: Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com